Good morning, everyone. Um, let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, um, we thank you for your word and we thank you that your word um, is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, we pray that you would teach us these truths that you have for us from these oracles and that you would show us that our only hope is found in our true and loving and sovereign God and in his son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, last week we started a new section of Isaiah and it was the oracles of the nations and this week we continued with that same overall theme. And I think we could all agree, in fact I've heard rumors that we think that this is indeed a very dense part of Isaiah and it requires some very heavy lifting. Some of it's hard to grasp hold of. And I would imagine that some of you would like to throw up your hands in frustration. In fact, if not, throw your study book in the trash. However, I think there are probably some of you who have loved this section. And what I want to do this morning is to help move all of us closer to that part of loving this section of scripture. We may not get there all the way, but hopefully we can get up to a place where we will say, ah, I see what God wants me to know. So in order to do that, we are going to try to grasp some really amazing big truths from both the section that we looked at last week, and we're going to look at that quickly this week, and you'll see that on your handout, and then we'll move on to um, section two, which is our, our oracles from this week. And what I hope that, that we will, how I hope this will be helpful to us is that not only will we gain an understanding of what is going on in the oracles and what God is conveying to his people, but that we will, it will also help us see how these truths might relate to the church and the world today and how they can inform our own hearts. So if you look at your handout, you will see that I've divided these these oracles from last week and this week into two sections. But there's been one change in section one that we've moved Egypt over under that section. And honestly, this is the way that most commentators will do this, organize this. So section one will be chapters 13 through 20, and section two will be chapters 21 through 23. And in both of those section, there sections, there are five nations. Okay, so the question is, so why are we dividing it up? Why are we going back and looking at this and, and looking at these two sections in these two different divisions? Well, the reason is this. In our study of the book of Isaiah, there has been this one theme that we've pounded home over and over again about what is going on, what is Isaiah's constant thumbprint on this book that bears his name. And that thumbprint is our God reigns. And the thing is that when we are reading this particular section of Isaiah on the oracles to the nations, Isaiah isn't changing that big truth of what he wants us to know. It is still that same thing. Our God reigns. And he does that 
by bringing that that understanding into focus around the the nations so that we'll see what is going on how is god reigning in the life of the nations and so what he's going to what we're going to begin to see that as he shows us the nations isaiah is showing us a coin and he's going to show us both sides of that coin but it's going to be that same message and so in section one we are going to see that our God is absolutely sovereign. Over and over, that's going to be revealed as we look at those nations. And the other side of that coin that we're going to find in section two is going to be that we, as God's people, and the people back then, what was the call? It was that even though things may seem out of control, things may seem dark, no matter what is going on in the nations, you must trust God because he is absolutely sovereign. So in section one, the emphasis is that Yahweh has everything firmly under his control. And we need that truth. In section one, it's like God allows us to have this big view of what he's doing in the world. And so that's where we are. We get to look down and we get to see that. We get to see how he is ordering his world. Section two, the emphasis is slightly different. It is that no matter what is happening in the world, God's people need to put their trust wholly on the Lord. And here we are back on the earth and we have this limited vision. And the question in section two is this, will you trust your God when darkness seems to overwhelm? Will you still trust him? When everything seems to be going against the promises of God, when it seems like everything is falling apart, will you still walk faithfully according to his word? Now, a very quick uh, disclaimer, so to speak, is that the commentators are pretty much aligned on, on what the big story of what's going on in the oracles to the nations, but some of the specifics they don't always agree. We're going to try to fly high enough that we'll get those main points, but there will be some things that you may find some disagreements among what commentators say. So let's look at section one, and we're going to have to fly over this. I'm going to be talking pretty fast, but it's just so you can get the big picture. Okay, so section one is, is the oracles from last week, including Egypt now. Egypt is here. And here's what we're going to do. Here we are taking, we are taken on a journey into the history of long ago, and we will watch nations who think they are in control, and yet they miss the sovereign purposes of God. Okay, so that's what's going on. We begin with Babylon. Babylon, whenever you read about Babylon in scripture, it is, it is almost always an idea of the world without God. And you could, here we see this, this constant thing, Babylon as the world without God when it was a nation, and Babylon when it represents the whole world as the world without God. And there is this dance going on back and forth, back and forth. Okay, so what happens in this section? Again, we're flying really fast over this. The Lord raises a signal and summons his mighty men and the armies of heaven and earth to come and execute his anger against Babylon. And that we can see that that 
oracle is unfolding because Babylon had moments of vast power in history. But in the end, she was a devastated city with there was nothing left for her. And that's the picture of the way it is going to be for Babylon as representing the earth at the end of time. We'll get to that in the second section. But there is going to be a judgment upon Babylon. And so you have this 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 thing going on. But why you have as God raised, shows us Babylon, it shows that he's absolutely sovereign. Babylon is not going to step one, side, one step outside of God's control. So the next thing we come to is Philistia. And the basic message is Judah will be protected and Philistia will not. Why will Judah be protected? Because the Lord has founded Zion and in her the afflicted of his people find refuge. In other words, those who put their faith in the promised Davidic king will find safety in Judah. And the picture here too, if we want to put this forward to our time, it is that same thing. It is the church in which the people will find refuge because it is there that they will find the true Davidic king. That's kind of the understanding. Moab. Moab's ruin is certain. Moab's pride will keep her from finding hope in the Messiah. If you remember, Assyria was coming down. And when we looked at this, there, there was this idea that Moab was seeking refuge from Judah, wanted help from Judah. But... The, when Moab understood that that would require them to submit to the rule of the Davidic king, Moab would not. Moab's pride would not let her bow before the Davidic king. And then last week again, we came to the Damascus-Israeli alliance. And here, here in this thing, Israel forms an alliance with human power. And what these two powers were linking together, what was their common enemy? It was the Davidic monarchy. It was Judah. They were trying to form, they tried to get Judah to join them. Judah would not, and they were trying to form an alliance against her. And what the, the message here is, only trust in God will be a place of safety. And that all other all other alliances are going to fail. And then we come to Egypt. And this this was the last one we added, but we'll just do a brief summary of this. But God is going to judge Egypt. Egypt was a country who thought she was pretty safe. She thought she had everything she needed herself. And Egypt relied upon all of the power and all the goodness that she thought that she had because it talks but then we see that God is bringing in his sovereignty he's bringing Egypt to complete collapse because it talks about Egyptian fighting Egyptian in other words the nation is falling apart from inside and then we see that all of her her gods are going to fail her she had this plethora of gods more gods than any other nation and they were worthless to her and then we see the Nile growing up so we see her economy is going to collapse because God brings a drought upon her and the Nile was her only hope 
And then we come to, to the ruling class or the wise men. And the wise men were supposed to be these, these really wise men who could figure out everything and they are worthless. And so what happens? Egypt comes to complete collapse. And that's what we're supposed to see there. But that's not the only thing we learn about Egypt. Here we learn that there is a beautiful part and God is going to show us something amazing about his sovereign rule. This is the beautiful part of his sovereign rule is that Part, a remnant of the people of Egypt will learn, will come to learn that their hope is found nowhere else than in Yahweh. It's a beautiful story. And, and so different is this from the first part of the oracle that this part is written in prose. And each part begins with in that day. And the first thing that we see is the day of judgment. And that is that return to that theme is that First, the people of of Egypt faces judgment, but out of that judgment comes grace because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then we see an altar in the midst and and it shows that, that Egypt understood that there was a need for them to have sacrifice for themselves. And then we have five cities who turn to the Lord in faithfulness. And then that faith expands from the heart of Egypt to the bold border of Egypt. And then there are, are these continuing ideas of worship. And then grace grows even bigger, even bigger. There's even more that God has to show us about his grace because we have a highway being built between Egypt and Assyria, these great enemies of one another. There is a highway built. And then we see that Israel is brought into this, this, this community of Egypt and Assyria and we see this blessing in the midst of the earth and we hear the astonishing words of the sovereign God where he says Egypt my people and Assyria the work of my hands and Israel my inheritance the amazing truth here is that God is giving us Egypt as a case in point and the Lord's purpose is to show us that that he is about uniting people of every tongue and every nation in worship of him. Not only were Egypt and Assyria enemies in the war to rule the world, but now it's, everything's changed. And now they have built a highway connecting their lands that they can go back and forth in worship of this one God. <clears throat> they are... They are no longer, as one commentator says, building walls. They are building a highway, but that is not all. As one commentator writes, Egypt, who held Israel in bondage and demanded that God, demanded by God that they let God's people go, now this great sovereign God calls Egypt my people. God's healing work in the gospel as the Gentile nations are brought in as God's people. Okay, so that's kind of the really quick flyover of that first section. And over and over and over, we see God's sovereign, God's sovereign, God's in control. All of these things are happening and God is moving things toward his perfect plan. And now we come to the second part. And again, this is the other side of the coin. And here we are going to to answer the question, will you trust God when all of his promises seem to be coming untrue? Or will you look for another way? 
And we begin again with Babylon. And again, Babylon always represents people in rebellion against God. And again, we're kind of going between the historical and the symbolic, that dance. And it's hard to tell where we are. But here we have Babylon as a picture of human treachery and evil. And both of those things are unfolding at once. First thing that we see is Isaiah receives a dire warning. Something is coming. Destruction. Judgment. And Isaiah's reaction is both physical and emotional. He staggers. He's terrified. He's full of pain. Isaiah confesses that he's longed to see the Lord come in judgment, but this vision shows him something so horrific he can hardly bear it. And, and here we have the picture. We don't know where we are in time, but the same thing applies. There is going to be a time of judgment upon, upon Babylon. And then there's going to be a time when, when Babylon serves as the judgment against God's people for a moment. And then there's going to be the judgment at the end of time when the world as Babylon is going to be finally judged. And it's going to be a judgment so horrific that it will be almost unbearable as we watch the judgment of the Lord against the world and all those in rebellion against him. And then it goes on to say that while Isaiah is receiving this, this understanding of judgment, the people are partying. So the people of the world go, it goes unnoticed what God is doing, that all of these things is building up to that final judgment. And Isaiah is told by the, by the Lord post a watchman. And so now we're back to the historical time because we're going to see that Babylon is going to face a judgment themselves. And so he, he says, post a, a watchman and wait for the riders and they're going to be coming in pairs. And when he sees them, there will be this cry, fallen, fallen is Babylon. And that is the judgment. And the picture here, it seems that Hezekiah was close at one time to making an alliance, forming an alliance with Babylon. And what what Isaiah is being taught, shown is that Babylon's going to fall too, people the same thing is true of us. Don't form an alliance with the world because Babylon is going to fall. Do not do that. You are Your only safety is in the hands of the Davidic king. And God never takes his hand, his eyes off of his redeemed. But Babylon will face destruction. Don't look anywhere else for help. Even when it seems like the world can offer you help. Don't put your trust there. The next oracle is Duma, and which means silent. And this is the picture of darkness coming, the, coming, covering the world, and the voices crying. How long? How long? How much longer? And so the voice is just wanting to know when is God's judgment coming? Is there hope at the end of it? Is there hope at the end of it? And and there is still silence. And and it is and Isaiah says, "Come back later. The time is not yet." And then we move to the Oracle of Arabia. This is difficult, but here's what it seems like is going on. Arabia was this section, and they were fearing the coming of Assyria, and. And there was this one place of refuge. It was an oasis called Tima in the middle. 
and the people of Tima were called to give aid and comfort to the people who were running from the war, from the judgment. And they were told to give them water for their thirst and food for their hunger. But pretty soon, this we are shown that there is going to be a complete collapse of Arabia also. And the question then is, where will you go to have your thirst quenched and your hunger fed? And the answer is, you can only trust God in the time of collapse. And then we come very quickly, we have to go through this, the Valley of Vision. The indication is that that Jerusalem is cannot see. They are in a valley. They cannot see what's going on around them. The people of Jerusalem have had this momentary respite from some threat. The exact threat is not specified. Some believe it is when God called, when God caused the fever, the sickness to come upon the people of Assyria that were about to enter Jerusalem and they went home and that this is a picture of them celebrating that, that, that time of respite. And so the, the people are not giving glory to God. They're just partying, partying. They have not given him thanks. Their vision is blocked. They cannot see that it was God's hand. And in fact, the people should be weeping and repenting and understanding and praying with all of God's grace, but they're partying on the, on the housetops. And it's a partying so, so extreme that it's like that the whole city is in, is tumultuous. But Isaiah sees something different. Isaiah sees beyond that rescue and he sees to future death and capture and destruction. The people may be celebrating victory now, but Isaiah sees captivity ahead. And he cannot stop weeping for what he sees in the future. And he tells his people that they can't comfort him, for that is what he sees, a judgment upon the people of Judah for covenant unfaithfulness. And he cries out and he says, he says, I see the valleys full of chariots and horsemen are at the very gates of Jerusalem. And then he understands in his own heart, the people do not understand what he is telling them, but that God has taken away the covering of Judah. And they, and Isaiah speaks to the people and he says, you went about gathering weapons and fortifying walls and collecting water, but you did not look to him who did it or see him who planned it long ago. And one commentator says the action of the people was why walk by faith when you have weapons and walls. They were called to mourn and deeply repent and they threw a party instead. And then comes this deeply sad utterance, there is no atonement for this. In other words, there is nothing that is going to stop God's hand from bringing judgment upon Judah in the Babylonian captivity. But there will be a remnant who is saved. And then we end with Tyre, and Tyre has, this has to be quick, but we started with this, this picture of Babylon and her use of, of power to control and people trying to form alliances and, and doing all of these things, and, and Babylon was trying to control the world's power. But now we come to Tyre, and Tyre is using a different, different method. It is the seduction of money and ego and pleasure to pull God's people's hearts. 
to them. And one commentator said, here is what we have with these two cities. It is all things that belong to time and not to eternity. That is what the world offers. Things that look to bring life but bring death. Something other than Christ to fill your deepest longings, but it will never satisfy. Sorrow and sadness and suffering, my friends, will come in this world, but it will not be always be so. Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, there's a lot more we could say about the nations. There's so much more to learn from them, but that's the big picture. That's the big flyover that we need to take. God is sovereign. His purposes are perfect. He is moving us toward a day. And even though at times in this world, my friends, that things seem out of God's control, they are not. And he is telling his people, keep being faithful. Keep putting your promise, your hope in my promises. I am faithful. That's the picture that we have here. And so, my friends, we come to this and we say, okay, what are we to learn? What does this mean to us? today, so far removed from Isaiah. And obviously, we have moved from focus in, in the Old Testament upon the nations and upon Judah to the world and to the church. That is, that is where the hope is found. That's where God people found, find hope. But as we learn about God's sovereignty, we need to remember that every day, my friends. And we need to remember that the true king is standing, awaiting the call for God to send him to come and redeem his people. Even though darkness may be here now, darkness will not always be the answer. So we learn those things, and those are good things, and we need those big picture things. But the question that we have is more of a daily question, isn't it? We have that question which hangs over us too. But because how our question is, how do I live faithfully this day? How do we live faithfully this day? How do we keep from making alliances with this world in our own hearts? And yet we're called to be a light to the world. How do we make that division? How do we adorn the gospel when we're living as if this world is all there is? How do we put our hope in seeking some kind of wealth or ego trip or pleasure? Are we doing that? We must ask ourselves that question. And instead, we must find the fullness of joy in our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, we must ask ourselves this question. How do we stop trying to be the center of things and wanting God to take God's glory? We do that in all kinds of ways. How do we stop that? How do I take me out of the center my friends, the big question is, how do we trust God in the darkness as well in the light, as in the light? 
If we take this to our church, we must ask this question. How do we love the people in the church even when there is disagreement among us? The the question is, how do we become a welcoming place for people and yet stay absolutely faithful to what God's word is? How do we keep from making this place so comfortable for the world that we forget God's word? How do we move our focus from ourselves to Jesus and his own glory? The answer to that question is not a hidden one. To those questions is not a hidden one. But the answer seems so old school. In our immediate information world, in our surface social media relationships, in our constant search for new answers, we forget the path that the king walked. Our king walked. And he asks us to follow him. It is a path of death. And for us that means death to self and other desires. It is a path of love. And that means laying down our lives for our neighbors. It is a path of joy even in the midst of weeping. It is a path of loving people enough that we tell them about Jesus. And not just try to make them like us. Overall, it is a path of life and prayer and deep trust in God's word and walking faithfully in that word, even when everything about us is calling that siren song is calling us into the world to follow another path. We will be tempted by alliances with this world, but we must not listen. Don't align yourself with the world. It is difficult at times, my friends. To be different. But remember, Scripture tells us over and over we are made for another world. We are aliens and strangers here. And God's word to us is not a vapor. God's word is not going to fade away. The world's word and call is a vapor and it will fall away. And the things that it promises are a vapor. But God's word, even though it is difficult at times, God's word is steadfast and things will not always be so. We will not always be living in weeping and sadness and hard times. We may sow in tears at times, but we will come home with shouts of joy. For Jesus has given us these words in the world You will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father, these are big truths that we need to take in our heart. And we confess that we too often become aligned with the world. And we long for the world, things the world promises. Oh, Lord, keep us faithful. Keep our eyes upon our sovereign God and his promises. For in Jesus Christ, they they will all come true. And we thank you for that. And we long for that day when he comes. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.